Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today, we're continuing our apologetic series called Defending the Faith. Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 17, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, Requirements of Defending the Faith. I recently read an article that indicated the 10 industries in North America that are most in need of skilled workers. You know, listed things like healthcare workers, people in the energy sector, the technology sector, engineering, the biotech industries, and so forth. I read one notable case in which a Siemens manager reported he couldn't find enough skilled workers to keep one factory in the U.S. open. They closed the factory not because they were outsourcing overseas. They closed it because they couldn't get the skilled workers required. Now, that sentiment gets repeated in many other places. There are all manner of job postings that have been open for months and never get filled, positions that pay great wages and have excellent benefits. And why? No one has the skills to do the work. Proverbs 22, verse 29 says, Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Now, it's, it's not my intention to speak about the importance of having a marketable skill. That's for another time. But I do want to make an analogy between people with in-demand skills and people who are able to defend their faith. Anyone who learns the skills of defending their faith will have a productive lifetime in sharing their faith, lots of conversations. Let me put it another way. People who are able to articulate what they believe and why they believe it are people who are always in demand. People who have no faith will want to talk to them because the conversation is interesting and it causes them to think. Look at it this way. Years ago, when I was buying a car, I had some questions about both the mechanics of the vehicle and its long-term reliability. I ignored the salesperson, and I found the service manager. I happened to know him and had a long, very instructive conversation about the vehicle. It's just that I thought the salesperson was trying to sell me a car, and the service manager would engage me in an intelligent conversation about the things that I wanted to know. Now, when it comes to sharing the faith, people do have questions. Years ago, I had a conversation with an atheistic young man who, by God's grace, did come to faith in Christ, but his first questions were about miracles, and they were about the trustworthiness of biblical records. He wanted to know if this thing called Christianity could stand the test of examination, and he desperately wanted the discussion with someone who might reasonably engage him. Of course, not all discussions are like that. I once had a discussion with someone who had a fair degree of money, and he wanted to know if God would take all of his money away. I once had a conversation with a young woman whose brother had committed suicide. She wanted to know if God was watching when her brother put the gun into the roof of his mouth and pulled the trigger. And could God have stopped it, or was he in the room and watched and did nothing about it? See, people don't all have the same questions, but they do want to know. Yesterday, I compared those objections to a moat surrounding a castle. The castle looks inviting, but the moats look uncrossable. And today, I want to read from 1 Peter. You remember that Peter was warning believers to expect suffering. There were those who, when believers refused participation in temple sacrifices, thought that Christians were disloyal to their cities and thus were leading anti-government revolutions. They were thought to be treasonous people. 
So let's read 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than to do evil." Now, what we're going to do is use verses 15 and 16 as our main verses, and that's going to set the stage for everything else that I say in this series. But before we do, let's consider the context. In verse 13, Peter begins with a question. Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? So at the outset, the believers in Asia Minor would have said, well, lots of people are going to harm us. Our neighbors, our city, our trade guilds, the temple, and the Romans, we are vulnerable. So some Bible teachers claim that in verse 13, Peter must have had in mind eternal harm, saying, who will eternally be able to harm you? In other words, for them, this is a passage that tells them not to be afraid of their eternal salvation. But I don't agree with that interpretation. What Peter is trying to do in verse 13 is to reinforce behavior among Christians that will lessen misunderstanding and that will endear God's people to the wider pagan culture. No one, says Peter, persecutes people for being gentle, kind, loving, and caring. See, that's the kind of behavior that he's talking about here. The culture you live in may misunderstand your faith, but if you become known as a people of graciousness, you're going to be halfway home. And by the way, that's still important today. Nothing is so disarming as a person who forgives their enemies, as someone who looks for opportunities to bless others who volunteers in social endeavors, who helps in their local schools, who looks for ways to encourage others. I mean, these kinds of attitudes open the door for the gospel. But where Christians are seen as ungracious, the size of the moat grows larger and the weight of the castle to the gospel is uncrossable. You know, sometimes I meet Christians who are ungracious and they say they're being persecuted. But hear me, No one likes ungracious people, and it it doesn't matter if they're Christian or Buddhist or Muslim or atheist. Sometimes we're disliked because we're disagreeable. Peter wants his hearers to be known in the non-believing world as people who are eager for doing good. That's the first step in building bridges. Now to the beginning of verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Now the grammar here suggests this. In the unlikely event that people do persecute you for being gracious, don't you be discouraged. You are, in fact, blessed. So let's continue reading. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Now, how is it that in an increasingly hostile culture, you can be free from intimidation? And the answer, because in your heart, you're regarding Christ as Lord. That is, he's fully equal with the Father. He's the second person of the one God. He rules over all, and as ruler, all things are subject to him, even the hostility of your culture. But of course, Peter's not just telling us to regard Christ as Lord, but to regard Christ the Lord as holy. What's he trying to communicate? Well, there's a background to this statement. It comes from Isaiah chapter 8, verse 13, which says, But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. 
Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. If you're going to fear anybody, fear God, fear Christ, regard him as holy, and let your fear be of him alone. And once that happens, it will take away your fear of people, even people who might intimidate and persecute you. Only the one who fears God can know what it is not to fear man. Now, we're talking about getting prepared to give an answer to anyone for the hope that is within us. So let's start with a principle. People who can defend their faith well must also be courageous people. If the truth be told, there are some believers who are actually intimidated by the world. And so you say to yourself, the best thing to do is to believe the gospel, but keep it fairly private. You've been flying under the radar, so to speak, and and up to now, very few of the unbelievers you interact with know that you are a believer, or even if they do, you have never entered into a dialogue with them. And the reason? Fear. But if you learn to regard Jesus the Lord as holy, it will give you a courage to enter into the arena of discussing your faith openly with others. But there's another feature that Peter has already mentioned. When we enter into dialogue, it sure helps to have a good reputation with people. We must have honorable conduct. We come now to the heart of this text, which is verse 15b always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Let's break that down into a number of phrases. First, always be prepared. See, what is behind this statement is that Christians have themselves already thought about some of the questions that non-Christians are asking. They know about some of the the misconceptions non-Christians have about the faith. They have become deeply intimate with their faith. They're well-grounded. And what's more, they've begun to grasp that there is a rational basis for their faith. And because of that, they walk very easily into a dialogue with non-Christians. They are both courageous and they are insightful as well. What an amazing combination. May God give that to all of us. Want to stay in the loop with everything going on at Back to the Bible Canada? Then follow us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're there. There's no better way to be up to date on all of our latest audio or video Bible teaching programs, blogs, special Bible resources, and much more. And while you're there, be sure to leave a comment and let us know about your questions, your feedback, or the impact this Bible teaching ministry has had on your spiritual walk. We love hearing from you. And don't forget to share the posts with a loved one so they can also receive encouragement that is always rooted in God's Word. For more information or to request this month's free Bible resource, Your Salvation Story, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that unless you're well able to defend your faith, don't attempt evangelism. Please do attempt evangelism. But I am saying that when you begin to share your faith, people will ask you questions you'll not be able to answer. And when that happens, you can do one of three things. One, you can fake it and make up answers as you go, and that's always bad. Or two, you can say, well, all those questions are just from the evil one, and that's often the failure to listen. 
or three, you can decide to get prepared. You can begin to ask and to study and to understand. You can become prepared. So let's go to the next phrase. The word here says to give a defense. The Greek word for defense is the word apologia. And from this word comes an area of Christian studies called Christian apologetics. It's a field in Christian theology that's devoted to giving a rational defense for the Christian faith. Now, people in the field of apologetics often say things like, the heart cannot rejoice in what the mind rejects is false, and helping the believer think and helping the thinker believe. See, the idea behind this is that sometimes apologetics, which we would think is all about evangelism, in fact has another benefit. Sometimes the study of apologetics is a great help for Christians themselves because many of us have questions we would love to have answers for. Questions like, is it ever okay to have doubts? And what role does scientific evidence play into my own faith? See, very early on, soon after coming to Christ, I struggled with my own doubts. I wondered to what extent I had come to believe simply because of some emotional struggles in my life. Was there any objective reason for believing? How did I really know there was a God? How did I really know that Jesus was the Son of God? How did I really know that the Bible was the Word of God? Were these the kind of things I should simply accept on faith, that is, without any corroborating evidence, or was faith actually something that rested on the sufficiency of the evidence? See, I can't tell you the delight I had as I was discipled by Christian teachers who believed that asking hard questions was not wrong, but was welcomed. And I began to read. Very early on, I read two books that really changed my life, both by the theologian named uh, Francis Schaeffer. The books were entitled, The God Who Is There, and the second one, He Is There and He Is Not Silent. See, even though Schaefer is now long dead, I, I still recommend those books to students attending universities. His thinking profoundly shaped me in my early years. But out of that came a conviction that the Christian faith was defendable. Indeed, it was reasonable. It could answer the hard questions. In fact, it did more. It invited non-Christians to face their own hard questions. Indeed, they too needed to defend their worldview. See, I went off to a university and I was constantly defending my faith and asking non-believers to defend their worldview. Those years were for me some of the best years of my life as I learned to depend more and more on the truths of Scripture. And out of that was born a conviction. All Christians can be trained to defend their faith. We don't need to be afraid of tough questions. In fact, we should not only answer them, we ask some of our own tough questions of those who believe differently. And so remember where we've been. One, we must be courageous and we must learn to speak about our faith and ask others to speak about theirs. Make faith a part of your conversation with people. Not only do you have faith, so do they. Give them a chance to tell you about their faith. Two, we must have honorable conduct so that we can't be charged with bad, ungracious attitudes. And added to that, we must be prepared to give real answers. Peter speaks about making a defense of our faith when asked. Now, notice the last part of this verse. Here the unbeliever asks the believer for a reason for the hope within them. I notice that in this verse, the non-Christian is doing the asking. That's because the believer has been bold enough to share. And as a result, the unbeliever asks. You know, perhaps the conversation goes this way. I've noticed that you refuse to pour out libations to Caesar and to call him Lord, but I also notice you've expressed your willingness to honor the emperor. How do you reconcile that? 
See, I recently had a conversation with a university professor and it went this way. He said, how do you define faith? He said, I've heard that faith means believing in something that can't be substantiated by evidence. Is that what you believe? And with that question came an amazing dialogue. And that's what Peter has in mind. What we're being asked to do then is to give a reason for the hope that is within us. Listen to how God addresses Isaiah in Isaiah 1.18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become wool. I've noticed that this offer, which is an offer to come and be forgiven, begins with an offer to reason. All people who share their faith should be trained to use Scripture as we talk about our faith. But we're not quoting Scripture as if it were a missile or a club to win an argument. We are quoting Scripture in a way that not only appeals to the heart, but also to the mind. It helps the unbeliever grasp the thoughts of Scripture and evaluate whether or not he thinks it's true. Let me see if I can illustrate that. Let's say you're having a dialogue with an unbeliever about sin. And he says, I don't think that people are sinful. And you say, well, Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see what you've done? You're using Scripture as a missile, and that kind of thing usually ends in frustration. Let me suggest another approach. The unbeliever says, I don't think people are sinful. And you respond by saying, when you talk about sin, what do you mean? And that might start a dialogue. Then you might say, can I share a definition of sin that comes from the Bible? And he agrees, and you quote 1 John 3, verse 4, sin is lawlessness. Now you've got a definition, and you can discuss what that means. Now, whether they eventually see that the Creator has given the creation divine laws, that we've ignored them and broken them, well, that's going to take some time. But in the first instance, you've used the Bible as a discussion stopper. And in the second, you've used the Bible as a tool to help the person to understand the nature of the Christian faith. And I think that's what Peter means by giving an answer, yet doing it with gentleness and with respect. But Peter's not done. He adds one more feature. In verse 16, he speaks of those who slander and that they might be put to shame. Three more things are necessary in your dialogue with an unbeliever. The first is gentleness, which is listed by Paul as one of the fruit of the Spirit. That means not raising your voice and not being harsh. The second is respect, and it's an interesting word because the actual Greek word here is fear. Now, Peter has told us in verse 14 not to be afraid of people, but here he uses it in the sense of respect. You see, no matter who the person is and regardless of their perspective, They're still human beings made in the image of God. Respect is demanded. And finally, Peter speaks about having a good conscience. That when the conversation is done, we can say with a good conscience that we've represented Christ well. In 1 Timothy 6 verse 14, Paul writes Timothy warning him against people who have an unhealthy interest in controversy and those who want to quarrel about words. And that's good counsel for all of us who are prepared to give an answer. Because every once in a while, you'll meet someone who only wants to bait you into an argument in which there's a lot of heat, but not very much light. Perhaps you're a person who's easily baited into such an argument. See, it's better to walk away from those arguments than to have them. The Bible tells us that God's servants must not be quarrelsome. You should know that you can never argue anyone into the kingdom of God. You can only get their back up. 
I always recommend that when it comes to an argument, try to find some gracious way out of it. Say, I haven't come here to offend you. Please forgive me if I have. Listen to Titus 3 verses 1 to 2. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. And that seems to sum it up perfectly. Peter simply says that in our evangelism and in our defense of the gospel, we must be gentle and we must be respectful. Now, doing this series, we're going to ask and answer some hard questions, everything from who is the historical Jesus to are Christians really intolerant? But in the end, we believe that we are not called upon to win arguments. We are called upon to win people. To that end, may God give us grace. Heavenly Father, I pray for those who will listen faithfully to this series. I pray for those who are believers who want to show gentleness and respect and yet be able to defend their faith well. And I pray also for those who don't know Christ at this point in time and may find us speaking of something they've been asking for years. Heavenly Father, use this series also to win many to faith in Christ. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. John, looking forward to uh, continuing in this conversation as you reveal these things to us. But I'm wondering a little bit about, you know, our own reluctance or even my own reluctance. I think maybe it's just simply not because I don't care, but often it's because maybe our faith is based upon sort of an inherited faith or a, a social faith, and, and we really don't know the answers to these questions. Yeah, and sometimes, Ben, I would argue that sometimes we're even embarrassed because we should think, you know, I should have learned that a long time ago, and I've been a believer for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years and more, and uh, shouldn't I know these things already? And I think it's okay to say to a non-Christian, you know, I really should know that. I actually don't. But if you give me some time, uh, I'd like to find that out for myself. And that way, the dialogue can continue. And I think it interjects this, this bit of reality into it. So, in other words, in order to share our faith well, Ben, I don't think that we've got to know everything, but we have to be vulnerable, and we have to be authentic, and we have to tell people what we know with certainty and what we don't. I I don't know how else to share our faith well, but it really does invite the other person to be vulnerable and authentic as well. I think that's the kind of thing that we're called upon to do. That's some great insight. Thanks so much, John. And join us again tomorrow, more of Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. What happens when someone is converted? Can a person lose their salvation after conversion? Is it possible to keep sinning after being genuinely saved? These are all questions you may have found yourself asking at some point in your spiritual journey. To that end, Dr. John Neufeld has an audio series called Your Salvation Story, where he unpacks these difficult questions in detail and provides valuable insights that offer clarity and helps you to see the wonder of your redemption like never before. Well, this month, Back to the Bible Canada is offering you this five-message CD series for free, accompanied by a special reflection guide crafted to help you get the very most out of this Bible teaching series. To request your CD series and guide, call us at 1-800-663-2425 
or visit backtothebible.ca. And don't hesitate, the Reflection Guide is available only as supplies last, and more can be purchased for group use.